Matthew chapter 14 from verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. But we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the Gospel of Christ. That was very good. Uh, well, good morning again. Just before we look at this, I've got a confession to make. I'm not sure you should trust me this morning. Talking about AGMs, we have a, um, a Zoom call now once a month for all the clergy in the churches in the diocese, so around the um, country. They get together and we talk on Zoom, we catch up with each other and pray for each other. And one of the ministers on Wednesday told all of us that he'd done, I won't name him, but Andy Carley said that he had done their AGM that week 15 minutes. So I've obviously failed as a minister for many, many, many years. Uh, <clears throat> let's pray, and then we'll think on this, uh, this great and well-known passage that John's just read to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great joy it is to be able to gather together on a Sunday morning as a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're mindful of one another. Uh, we, we just heard a few minutes ago about what happened to the fuse. We're so thankful that Peter and Rebecca are safe. But all of us will have come here uh, this morning with different things on our minds, different things on our hearts, facing different issues in our lives. Lord, we thank you that we're not left alone to deal with what we're facing. We're thankful for your presence with us. Uh, but particularly right now, I want to thank you for your word, which is a light to our feet. And I pray that now as we spend a few moments thinking of the Lord Jesus and this account of him feeding this vast multitude of people, that you might, by your spirit, help us see what this event might say for our lives today, how you might change us or challenge us, how you might make us more like your Son, our Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, it's been a long time, but um, for regulars at St. Stephen's, we're finally back into Matthew's Gospel. We began a series in Matthew's Gospel last year, and it's been quite a, a long time, uh, but we're back into it this morning at last. And I'm very excited about being back into the Gospel of Matthew, because for one very simple reason, being in a Gospel brings us face to face with Jesus. That's the great joy and privilege that you have when you're reading or studying one of the four Gospels. 
And so whether you're here this morning because you're looking into Christianity and you're still not quite sure what to make of it, or because you're you're here because you are a Christian and you uh, love the Lord and you're absolutely positive where you stand, either way, looking at Jesus is the most helpful thing we can be doing this morning. He's the centre of Christianity. Therefore, he's the one to investigate if you're looking into things. But he's also the one, for those of us who know him and follow him already, the one to learn from, the one to listen to, the one who is ultimately king of all things. So it's very good to be back in Matthew's gospel. And I hope, like me, you're going to look forward to the chance over these next few weeks to be looking face-to-face at Jesus, this person who is so uh, surprising and challenging and motivating and confronting and nourishing. He's all these things and much, much more. Well, this morning we picked things up partway through chapter 14, which is where we finished off last year, and we're with this pretty well-known incident, the so-called feeding of the 5,000. Now, many of you will know that this is the only miracle that Jesus did that's recorded in all four Gospels. The only other one is Jesus' resurrection himself. Apart from that, this is the only one. So we're seeing it here from Matthew's perspective, but you can also read about it in Mark, in Luke, and in John. Now that right there says something about the significance of this event, right? Think of all the amazing things that we know Jesus did, all the healings of particular people, all the raising of people from the dead, the walking on water. None of those are in all four Gospels. Only this one is. So it's clearly significant. Now I said so-called feeding of the 5,000 before because the last verse of our reading, verse 21, said the number of those who ate was 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. So most people agree this is uh, probably significantly more than 5,000 people who were fed at this point. We're probably thinking in the, in the category of 15,000, 20,000, something like that. So it's a, it's a sports crowd at a stadium. That's what's in mind. And please keep that in mind as we go through these verses. That's the size. Now, Matthew doesn't talk about this, but in John's Gospel, we see a little more of the spiritual significance of what goes on with the feeding of the 5,000. Because if you remember in John's Gospel, in chapter 6, where the feeding of the 5,000 happens, the very next thing Jesus does is give a speech. He preaches on the significance of what he did. And it's there that he says the famous, I am the bread of life words, where he tells the crowd to think about bread. And he says that your ancestors, the Israelites who were there, your ancestors who were around in the time of Moses, when they were in the wilderness, they received manna from heaven. And they ate that manna, but later on they died. He says, he too is bread from heaven, the bread of life, and if anyone eats of me, they'll never die. That's the kind of spiritual significance that John's gospel gives us on this um, uh, event. But in Matthew, we're not told any of that. And so this morning, we're, we're in Matthew's gospel. We want to be thinking about, well, what does Matthew want us to focus on and take from the, this famous incident? And I think in these verses, Matthew gives us an incredible insight into the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. And Jesus has both those aspects. Uh, I was thinking uh, over the weekend we heard, didn't we, that Prince Philip died. And there's a sense that Prince Philip is one of us, he's a human being, and yet he's not one of us because he's one of those royals and their, their lives are so different, their existence is so different. Well, when you read through the Gospels, you see that that's even more so for Jesus because he's fully man, he's part of humanity, and yet he's also fully God, he's divine. 
And in these nine verses, we see Jesus as a man doing things that we get, we understand, that we should learn from and take heed from. But we also see him as God the Son, doing things that are way beyond us, that we could only dream of doing. Uh, But both are helpful for us in our walk with the Lord. Because we will see Jesus act as a human and probably take lessons from it and we see him act as God and we're encouraged by it and strengthened by it. So this morning I've got just two points as we look at these verses and they're along both those lines. First point is Jesus the man we must learn from and the second one is Jesus God's son we can lean on. So Jesus the man we can learn from, must learn from and Jesus God's son we can lean on. So firstly then, Jesus the man we must learn from. Have a look at the first couple of verses. Verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. These verses, there's lots of good stuff in these verses for us to think about. Certainly as we think about Jesus as a human being, as flesh and blood like you and I. We're told firstly that Jesus heard something that had happened and then he withdrew. Now what had happened that he'd heard that caused him to withdraw? Well in the verses just before ours, if you've got your Bible open, where Matthew tells us that John the Baptist had been executed. So Jesus has just heard the death of his relative, his his forerunner, the person who prepared the way for his ministry. And he withdraws. He takes time out. He goes to a solitary place for quiet, for reflection, for processing. And I want to say that there's a very important principle for all human beings in what Jesus does there. It's something we see happen At regular occasions in the Gospels, Jesus withdrawing from the crowds, getting away from the busyness of life, to be by himself with his Father. He intentionally took time of quiet, uh, I presume of reflection and thinking, of processing. Specifically, sometimes it talks about him doing it for prayer, meditating on the Word, to plan and decide. And I don't think this is something that we're supposed to read and go, well, that's what the Messiah did. That's what God the Son was supposed to do as he ministered here. No, he's acting as a human being here. This is part and parcel of being a human being in this fallen world. And it is very important for you, for me, for us, to sometimes get away from the normal routines, put a stop to the normal stresses and strains, to get away from the noise and the interruptions, to get away from people, if I can say that. It's very important to do and yet very hard to do. How many people do it regularly today? Get away. In our modern world, where we live often in urban centres which are filled with people, where it's certainly filled with distractions and things that fill our ears or our minds or our hearts all the time, very hard. We live in a world full of noise. And of course, we're, we're nearly always plugged in online now. It's increasingly hard and rare. Now, please don't mishear me. Distractions can sometimes be useful, sometimes good to be kept off thinking about something which is actually destroying us or you know, really difficult. But, but distractions can also be very dangerous because it can stop us facing things we need to face 
or dealing with stuff we need to deal with or bearing our soul to the Lord honestly when we need to do it. It keeps us focused on the here and now distractions rather than looking back and remembering things we can learn from or looking forward and planning and making, uh, m- uh, making plans for the future. There are times when each of us need to step away, to step back and switch off. Being alone with our thoughts is the worst possible idea for some people. It may be what's necessary. Being isolated just with our feelings and sitting with them. Being alone where we can think and feel and pray uh, and spend time in the word, where we can feel the weight of things, uh, have a chance to reflect on where we're at and where we're going. These things are vital at times in our life. And I'm not, this is not just new age kind of um, wellness, well-being stuff. I'm talking about it as a Christian. In amongst prayer and meditating on the word, the music silenced, the screen switched off. We need this sometimes. As I said, though, it can be hard. There are a lot of people who struggle to do this, who struggle to think of doing it. Some of us don't want to face our thoughts or memories or think about the future. Uh, Some of us, I worry today, are addicted to being online. I'd be interested to talk to an expert at some stage, but I almost feel that the greatest addiction facing people at the moment is them being online, on screens. This is why parents, turn your children's screens off, uh, because children are more easily uh, addicted than we are, and we're addicted. So there's a whole range of things with your children with screens. You wouldn't leave your children with strangers. Don't leave them watching or playing things you don't know what it is. But but getting offline is something... I think I've just gone offline. I think I've just gone off on a hobby horse, which I wasn't going to speak on. But it's very hard to get away, to be more isolated. Some people can't handle silence now. It messes with them. Jesus as a man needed it. He's an example, I take it, for us. The importance of mornings, setting yourself up for the day, for evenings, winding down at the end of the day. I've spoken before about the importance of retreats. I used to look down on people that did a retreat, and now I think, what a great thing to do. Take a couple of days out each year where you get away from everything else, you're switched offline, and you start thinking and praying and spending time in the Word. Think about how you might be able to implement that in your life because we need to. Jesus withdrew and we see him here as a man we can learn from. But he didn't just withdraw. I said before these verses are packed with stuff. We also see him reconnect with people. He sees the crowd and he gets involved. He reconnects with people. And and really this is two sides of the same coin. There's a danger for some of us not withdrawing in quiet and having times without distraction and uh, praying and spending time in the Word, but there's a problem for other people being too isolated, being too disconnected when you and I were created for relationships. So Jesus doesn't spend his whole life in solitary. He doesn't spend his whole life disconnected from people. He reconnects. If you're someone who, even as I say these things, knows very well you've pulled back too much You haven't got relationships with people which are close and meaningful and serving because Jesus doesn't just reconnect here for the sake of it. He does it to serve people. If you don't have good relationships, it's very hard to serve in meaningful ways. Then if that's you this morning, think about your life and what you might need to do to change that. There may be some habits you need to break. 
There may be some efforts you need to make, some invitations you need to extend. But Jesus reconnected with people. He withdrew, he reconnected. But there's more that we can learn from Jesus here. Notice what he does when he reconnects. He serves. And um, look at his attitude here, because I find this so challenging, because it's exactly the opposite of the attitude I'd have. Jesus knew he had to withdraw. Put yourself in his place for a moment. He just found out John had died. He withdraws to draw close to his father and probably to process and reflect on what happens. Verse 13, the crowds hear this, that Jesus is withdrawn, and they follow him on foot. Now, I can tell you what my reaction to that inconsiderate crowd would be. I can tell you what my kind of natural instinct would be to that selfish crowd. Annoyance? Probably. Frustration? Certainly. Rudeness? Possibly. (laughs) Not Jesus. Verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. It's a great example of Jesus. Not just so wrapped up in his own circumstances he couldn't look out and see the need for others. Not just so caught up in his own head and his own issues that he didn't have time for other people. It's a wonderful thing. He heals them of their sick by serving them and in the rest of the verses, of course, he feeds them physically. And I I want you to think about that. That's another thing we can get from here. Jesus is a lesson. Jesus is a human being as a lesson for us. He cares for them physically, not just spiritually. Sometimes said of evangelical Christians, evangelical Christians being we we centre on Jesus on the cross and the authority of the scriptures, it's sometimes said of evangelical Christians that we only care about people spiritually, not physically. Therefore, we only care about evangelism, not feeding people or clothing people or sheltering people. I pray that's not true of us. We're to care for people materially, physically. The Lord Jesus did here. Now, when we care for people, we get the priorities right. And the spiritual is more important. I hope everyone agrees with me on that. It's it's more important that someone hears and responds to the Lord Jesus as saviour eternally than they're fed when they're hungry. In other words, Jesus could have carried on just healing the sick and feeding people, but he didn't carry on doing that. He went to the cross because he was doing something more important. But one doesn't rule the other out. And Jesus tells us the importance of looking after and loving each other physically as well. It's one of the reasons I love what the Shirley Community Trust does in our area. Because they've got the evangelistic and mission in mind as they care for practically. Thank you, Mitchells and Anne and others who do such a great job in that way. So I hope you can see that in these verses, the feeding of the 15,000, I'm going to call it, it's rich, it's packed with examples of how Jesus the man is someone we can learn from in his own humanity the need for times of withdrawing and quietness, times where we must reconnect and serve others, the ability to have compassion on people, the need to to care for people physically. May we live in his footsteps and make changes where we need to, where we see that we're not living as Jesus did as a man. So that's Jesus the man we must learn from. Secondly, lastly and uh, more quickly, we see Jesus God's son we can lean on. If the first part of our reading shows the humanity of our saviour, the second part shows the divinity of our king. Because you can't do what happened here. You and I are incapable of doing it. We can't manufacture it, we can't fake it. 
Uh, some people, you may have heard, it doesn't talk about the little boy with the loaves and the fish in, in Matthew's account, but it does in one of the others. And sometimes people try to do away with anything miraculous by Jesus here and say that um, well, it was just when the, when the crowd saw this young child give his lunch, they, they were all moved to um, share their lunches, and that's what went on. That's not what went on. In John's Gospel, it's very clear, after the feeding of the 5,000, the crowds tried to make Jesus king. Why did they try to make him king? Because he just helped sharing happen? No, because he'd just done something unbelievable. Because he'd just demonstrated a power they couldn't believe. Because he'd, he'd fed a packed stadium worth of people. You can't do... There are no other alternatives for what happened here. It's a miracle by Jesus. We've all seen depictions of faith-healing charlatans or religious tricksters trying to, trying to um, do tricks on people because they're gullible. That's not what's going on here. There's not a person in the history of the world who could trick 15,000 people. Think about how that might go. You might have two extra fish up your sleeves. That's not going to feed 15,000 people. You might say, oh, look over there and bring a loaf out from under your top. That's not going to feed 15,000 people. What Jesus does is unbelievable in its power and authority. It's a creative miracle. He creates, I was going to say from nothing, but it's not from nothing, but more food from the five loaves and the two fish, so much that it feeds all those thousands of people. Think about a stadium, that number. And more than that, it doesn't just feed them. Verse 20 it feeds them to satisfaction with 12 basketfuls left over. You don't have to scratch too hard on these verses to see the significance of that, that Jesus satisfies. Satisfaction is what the world looks for, what it craves to be fulfilled, to be satisfied. And we tend to think that everyone else must kind of have it because we know we don't, but we must be missing something and other people have got it. And we look for it everywhere. We look for it in relationships. We look for it in sex. We look for it in money. We look for it in possessions and achievements and victories. And we think, well, if I haven't got it, then if I just get the next thing or if I just turn the corner and be able to tick the next box, well, then I'll be able to get it. But, friends, our world is littered with people with dissatisfaction, discontent and unfulfillment. Because it can't be found anywhere in this world. A few years ago, uh, some of you will remember, I invited um, Brad Thorne, the former All Black, to our church camp. And I interviewed him from the front and um, I got him to talk about his life and how he'd become a Christian. And if you were there, you'll probably remember his story. He became a Christian later in life. And at the point that he became a Christian, from a worldly point of view, he was very successful. He had got everything he'd wanted to achieve. He was playing rugby league at that point when he became a Christian and he'd got to the highest levels. He'd already represented Queensland and state of origin. He'd already represented Australia uh, at the national level. He'd got money and he'd got success. People, uh, he, he was well thought of by his peers. They respected who he was and what he'd achieved. He'd wanted things like money and popularity and women and these sorts of things and he had it all and he said he'd never been more empty in his life. At the very moment, from an outside point of view, people would have thought he had everything. He said the only thing that filled him and satisfied him was Jesus. Now, Brad's not alone in that. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies in this world. And the wonderful thing is he doesn't just satisfy physically when you eat food that he's created. He, he satisfies spiritually as he saves us. 
Only Jesus can do that because he's not just a man who sets us a great example. He's the God who feeds and satisfies and rescues us. He has that kind of power and authority. More than that, wonderfully, he doesn't just have the power and authority, he's got the compassion. Same compassion he looks at the crowds with. He's got for you and I. And therefore we can lean on him. We as his people have the privilege of being able to lean on him. And I point that out. I want you to lean on him, particularly if you know you need to lean somewhere today. Because I think we can be like the disciples in these verses. My theory is, you can disagree with it, but my theory is if we'd asked the disciples on that day, could Jesus have miraculously healed the crowds, uh, fed the crowds, they would have replied yes, but they didn't think he was going to be able to. They doubted him. They didn't trust. They over-exaggerated the problem and they underestimated Jesus. I think we sometimes do the same things as Christians. We over-exaggerate the the things of this world and we under-appreciate or um, under-value Jesus. If you've got Jesus, you've got the King of Kings as your Saviour. If you've got Jesus, the Scriptures tell us you have the Holy Spirit living within you, God himself always present with you. You've got someone that you can lean on, someone that brings satisfaction, but also someone we can have confidence with in all circumstances. The feeding of the 15,000 is an example and a reminder that in Jesus we have God the Son himself able to do more than we can imagine, and he's ours if we trust him and if we follow him. We can lean on him. So do you lean on him? Lean on him. Eat the bread of life. Turn to the saviour of the world. Rejoice in the king because he won't let you down. So that's the second one. Jesus, God's son, we can lean on. So I pray that we would learn from him. I pray that we would lean on him. In other words, devote yourself to Jesus in your life. That's the way to live. And it's odd. We live in a world where so many of us are devoted to people or products or things that don't even know that we exist, but we demonstrate our devotion to them in so many ways. I was thinking about this over the weekend. You've got youngsters who uh, devote themselves to pop stars. You know, I love Taylor Swift or whoever it may be, and they've got posters up on their wall and they buy CDs. No, no one buys CDs anymore. They, how do you purchase music? Online. Get offline, people. No, it, we devote ourselves to these uh, people they don't even know we exist. But we show our, our love and our loyalty in so many ways. But it's not just the young. People do it with sports teams. We buy the merchandise with the, the, the Warriors cap and the Warriors top, or the All Blacks, whatever you want. We do it with products. We've got people that are committed to Apple. So we've got whatever pad or pod or whatever it is that we've... And we're all Apple all the time. And these people don't even know we exist. Well, apart from Apple, they probably know everything about you. And... <laughs> but they don't know you. But they don't know you. Devote yourself to the one who has compassion and knows you. Devote yourself to the one you can learn from and lean on because he's worth it. Devote yourself to the one who doesn't just know you exist. He created you. And he didn't just create you. He rescued you and saved you. And he carries you. And he will take you one day to be with his father. Learn from him as a man. Lean on him as God's son. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, just another wonderful depiction of our saviour. We thank you for the humanity we see in this. 
We, 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 we get what Jesus was doing here and we can learn from it. And yet there's another side where we, we can't because he's God's, he's your son. He's our king. Father, I pray if there are particular ways that we need to change or things that we need to do in our lives, you'd give us both the wisdom and the desire to be able to do them this morning so that we may learn from and lean on ever more closely our great saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.